21. Genesis 21. Genesis 21. Continuing our study here through the book of Genesis. Pastor Rich filled in for me last week doing Genesis chapter 20. Um, struggled a little bit with this lesson tonight, not because of the theology of it, but there's three main stories going on here tonight, and they are kind of interrelated, but they're not. And I was really praying over the saying, Lord, how do we go about doing this? So I decided we're just going to do the first seven verses tonight, because when you get into next week, Next week, we get into this idea of Hagar and Ishmael, and if you really want to study it out, you have to go into Galatians, where it talks about the law and grace, and it's a wonderful study, and we can't squeeze both those in tonight, so we're going to have to do that separately, hopefully next week. But tonight, we finally get to have Isaac. Isaac is born. I had a, one pastor said one time, this had to be the most spoiled child that ever lived. This kid had been talked about for 25 years. And when he's born, he's born to the 100-year-old man and the 90-year-old woman. And it's the child of promise. My goodness, this is a miraculous birth. Next to Mary's virgin birth with Jesus, this is argumentably the most miraculous birth in the Bible. So this guy is so important because Isaac ends up having Jacob and Esau. Jacob ends up having the 12 tribes. And you see how we're getting close to this Israel becoming this great nation here. So Isaac is born here tonight. And you've got to remember his name means laughter. And his name means laughter because when God told Abraham you're going to have a child, Abraham's response was he laughed. When God told Sarah you're going to have a child, Sarah's response was that she laughed. So let's just jump right into this, the first seven verses, and we'll break this down. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Laughter. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, and God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear me will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. It's an amazing story. I mean, it really is. And what a beautiful picture it is. Now, as we were going through this, as I should say, as I was going through this, this felt more like a, um, a Sunday morning message. Normally on Wednesday, we get a chance to chew into stuff a little bit more, things that we wouldn't usually do on a typical Sunday. But this kind of had a Sunday morning feel to it because this amazing, miraculous birth. Remember the definition of a miracle. No explanation but God. No explanation but God. So 100 years old and 90 years old, they have a child. That's not possible. We'll get to that in a little bit. Now, what would have happened if they would have done it 25 years ago? Abraham, 75, Sarah, 65. That's, you know, you hear some of those reports of a woman in her early 60s having a child, etc. That's a little more feasible. But this right here, no explanation but God. It has to be that way. Key verse for tonight is verse 40, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 21. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Look at those phrases, depending on your translation. And the Lord did as he said, as he had spoken. He promised it, and it happened. He said it, and he did it. Now just think about that for a second. Let that sink in. He said it, and then he did it. That has not changed today. But for some reason, we forget this. 
My translation said in verse 1 that he visited Sarah, depending on your translation. Some of your translations said was gracious to Sarah, favored Sarah. My favorite translation is he kept his word. He kept his word. He promised her that you would, she would have a child, and 25 years later, it happened. If you're taking notes, just write this verse down. Joshua 21, verse 45. Joshua 21, verse 45. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. That's the focus of tonight. God promises and he backs it up. Why is it as Christians that we start doubting the promises of God? Why do we start doubting those it's amazing. We start running into situations and we think our situation is the exception clause to the promises of God. Romans 8, 28. All things work for the good of those that love Him that are called according to His purposes. So God works good in all things except in my life. You know, my life's the worst life that ever existed. Everybody else gets a great job. I got an awful job. Everybody else has a great spouse. I have an awful spouse. Everybody has great health. I have awful health. Why? You're the exception to the rule? Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way they will go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Yeah, that works for you, but I did that, and it didn't work for my kid, so it just must not work for me. You see, it's amazing, when I, when I talk to people, and we start doing counseling, a lot of times when they're battling this depression, this discouragement, this doubt, you try to get them back focused on the Word, and what happens is they, doubt just keeps coming up. It doesn't work for me. I tried the prayer thing, it doesn't work. I tried reading the Bible thing, it doesn't work. I tried the church thing, it doesn't work. Now, I don't get this. If it worked for everybody else, why doesn't it work for you? And I've said that to somebody before. If it works for everybody else, why doesn't it work for you? Because nothing ever works for me. You know, the woe is me. Don't you think Sarah, I shouldn't say don't you think, we know Sarah in those 25 years had moments of doubt because when she was told that she was going to have a kid again, she laughed we got to be careful here about this doubting the Lord and what He can do. Can you go with me to Romans 4? Romans 4. Let's get a little bit more background in here to what Abraham was thinking. Romans 4. We know from Hebrews 11, we know from Hebrews 11, that Abraham was considered as good as dead. That's how the Bible describes Abraham. That he was going to have this kid, but he was as good as dead. Isn't that a great description? I mean, how would you like to be defined that way? Hey, we need some help out here at church. Yeah, but we can't use Fred. Why? Well, he's as good as dead. I mean, but that's how the Bible describes Abraham. As good as dead. Well, what did Abraham think? I mean, that's what the Bible describes him. What did Abraham think himself? Romans 4 gives us a glimpse into what Abraham thought. Romans 4, verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, speaking to Abraham. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope and hope believed, so he became the father of many nations according to which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. Since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So how does the Bible describe him? He's basically dead, and Sarah's womb is dead. 
That's how God describes it. But what does it say right here? Verse 19, not being weak in faith. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise. Abraham basically admitted, yeah, I'm dead, she's dead, but God's still going to do it. In a couple chapters, when Abraham gets ready to sacrifice his child, the book of Hebrews says that Abraham just thought that God would raise him from the dead. Wow. Seriously. Church, where'd our faith go? I mean, seriously. We know these things. I was just talking to the boys at devotions. God created the world in six days. Six days he created the world. I'm praying with somebody a few hours later, just hoping, just hoping maybe they could feel a little bit better. So creating the world in six days out of nothing, and I hope this person feels better. There there is no comparison. If if God can create the world in six days, can't he do anything? And if, if God can bring a child into a dead man and a dead woman's womb at 190, what are you going to face today that's bigger than that? But yet, for some reason, we walk in this, I don't know if he can do it. I don't know if he can. Our faith has gone completely out the window when it comes to stuff. Even though it's right there, right there, we walk in this idea of almost unbelief. Don and the boys and I took a few days off at the end of last week and the beginning of this week. And we decided that we were going to go to Pennsylvania. So we went to Erie, Pennsylvania. And the reason we picked Pennsylvania is I got this weird thing. I like to go to as many states as I possibly can. So I'd never been to Pennsylvania. So we looked at the map and it's like, let's go to Erie. So we picked Erie and we found these places to go. And just for the fun of it, we decided we're just going to drive into the state of New York. So we literally went one exit into the state of New York, turned around and came back. So now I can say I've been to the state of New York. So, didn't do a single thing in the state of New York. We wanted to. And, and, I, and please don't think I'm being crass when I say this. We wanted to do something. We thought, well, let's do one thing. Just, we're getting off the first exit in the state of New York. Let's just do something. So, we got off at the exit of the state of New York, the first exit, because the next exit begins a toll road. So, you really have no choice. So, we get off at the first exit in the state of New York. There's literally one business at the exit of the state of New York. Would you like to guess what it was? An adult bookstore is the only business at that exit in the state of New York. So if you ask me what my opinion is on the exit of the state of New York, that's the only thing I saw. So we obviously did not do anything. So we got back on, said we went to New York. But we went to this place called Presque Isle in in Erie, Pennsylvania. Beautiful, beautiful park. So the boys were so excited to go here because there was going to be beaches and rocks and that's what we're going to do. So we drive into Presque Isle. But as you drive into it, you're on the inside of it. So the only thing you see is Erie, Pennsylvania, and you see their little bay that they have. That's all you see. So we're driving, and this park is huge. It's like a 13-mile drive. So we're a couple miles into this drive, and the boys are like, where's the beach? Because the only thing they see is Erie, Pennsylvania, and this bay. And we said, boys, the, the beach is right there to our left. It's right there. Okay, but where's the beach? It's right there to our left. You, you can't see it because it's a four-lane road. You just got to trust us that if you would just go 250 feet that way, it's the most amazing beach you've ever seen. Didn't believe us. Didn't believe us. And so we finally parked and went to the beach. And for the next two hours, I just rubbed it in their face. You know, look at this beach type thing. How many times do we do that as Christian? You got yourself on this road. You're going this direction. And it's this road of doubt and disbelief. I'm never going to be better. 
It's never going to be. My life is miserable. My, my, my kids are just going to grow up being awful, and I'm never going to have the job I want, and my marriage is going to be awful, I'm going to have bad health, I have no friends, no one likes me. And you're just on this path. And if you would just go 250 feet to the left, it's just God's blessings and faithfulness. But we get stuck in this. And I look at Abraham and Sarah for 25 years. They waited and waited and waited. And the Lord was faithful. Go back to that first verse in Genesis 21 again. He had said as he had spoken. The Lord did it. The Lord did it. And so that's the beautiful part about this is whatever you are facing right now, I can look you in the eye and tell you the Lord is good and the Lord does good. No matter what you're facing right now, I can quote you Jeremiah 29, 11, saying that I know the plans the Lord has for you are not plans to harm you, but to bring you peace and hope. I can quote you Romans 8, 28, that God will work good in your life. As a child of God, he will. Now the question is, will you take this and believe it? Or are you going to walk in this discouragement and this doubt and this what if? You've got to make that choice. For Abraham and Sarah... It took 25 years for fulfilled promise to happen. And what an amazing birth that was. Amazing. Abraham had faith. We already read in Hebrews he was basically as good as dead. We read in Romans that he was dead. His wife's womb was dead. But he never gave up faith. And I want to build on that. I want to build on that a little bit. Can you go with me to 1 John chapter 2? 1 John chapter 2. Anybody have any quick questions, comments here of anything that we've covered thus far? Abraham and Sarah having the child, 190, who Isaac was, anything here thus far? Yeah, Ryan. That sounds like a seventh grade health question. <laughs> and it is, I'm trying to think of how long I've been out of that. Um, I don't know. I do know, uh, who was it? There was the uh, very famous actor that was in The Odd Couple. Was it Jack Lemmon? Is that right? No, who was that? Who? Jack who? Was it Jack Lemmon? Was somebody that was in... Was the other guy. What was his name? Tony Randall. He had kids up until his early 70s or something, didn't he? Letterman. Yeah, wow. Wow. How do we get on this subject? Um, but yeah, I brought it up. Yeah, Tony Randall had kids up, up until late. So to answer your question, I, I can't say for sure whether there is an end date, but there is numerous opportunities there for guys that had. So there you go. That's what Wikipedia is for. But there you go. Yeah. That's an interesting question. And for those that didn't hear that, you know, Marcus was asking, did Abraham really desire a son? Is it something he really desired deeply? Depends who you ask. Because if you ask me, when we studied back in, where was that? Um, Oh, what was that chapter? Was it chapter 18? Or excuse me, I can't remember what chapter it was. But that's where we had that time where God said, you're going to have a son and it's not Ishmael. And Abraham said something about, oh, Ishmael. You know, he really wanted Ishmael there. So, 
my personal opinion, it seemed like Abraham was pretty happy with Ishmael because it was his son, just wasn't through Sarah. So did Abraham really want a son with Sarah? I, I can't answer that for sure. He seemed to really like Ishmael. I don't know if I'm answering your question or not. but. Mm-hmm. And it's easy when you have a desire to hope for, to really want a desire. Your hope is then based upon that desire. But faith, in many times, many cases, is entirely different. And I, I'm trying to make a distinction there. Yeah. I, I guess I think of Hebrews 11, 1, if I, if I remember it correctly, where it says, um, what is it? How does that word? Let me just read it here so I don't screw it up. Hebrews 11, 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I guess in Hebrews 11, 1, they kind of take that idea of faith and hope, and they do kind of tie it in together. I don't want to make it sound like Abraham did not want Isaac. I, obviously, he loved Isaac. There's no doubt about that. But for me, when I read this, if you jump back a couple chapters ago, I think Abraham at that moment could have stopped and said, If I just had Ishmael, I'm okay with that. That's my opinion. And, and maybe I'm wrong on that. We may get up to heaven and Abraham may search me out to kick me. I don't know. But it seemed like he was very content with just Ishmael there. Sarah, though, when you really read this response in Genesis 21 of Sarah, that was fulfilling to her. There, there's no doubt about that. That was something very special. And as we get into the study next week, you see Hagar and Ishmael kind of picking on Isaac. And Sarah won't put up with that. <laughs> she says they got to go. So, but you're talking about the substance of faith and hope being tied in together, correct? And also linked to desire. Right. I guess I would go to that Hebrews 11.1 where it seems like in Hebrews 11.1, God combines faith and hope together. If you have faith, you're hoping for it. And if you're hoping for it, you have faith. So it seems like in Hebrews 11.1, they're kind of glued together that way. That's the way I would kind of look at it. If I'm hoping for something, I also have faith that the Lord's going to work it out. And if I have faith in it, I guess I'm also hoping the Lord's going to work it out. So Hebrews 11, 1 seems to tie that together. That's a good question, though. Anybody else have anything here? Yes? But what about His will? God's will? Well, the easy answer to that is, as you grow and walk with the Lord and go deeper in Him, your will aligns with His will. So what you hope for... Is what the Lord wants you to hope for. It reminds me of that passage in Psalms where it says that God will give you the desires of your heart. And that verse has been taken so out of context. But the point is this. If I'm walking in the will of God, the desires of my heart are the desires of God's heart. So therefore they line up correctly. If my hope is in something that is unbiblical, God's not going to bless me with that. But if I'm growing in Him and growing as a Christian in Him, my will will hopefully line up with God's will, which then will then come to pass because of faith. So it was God's will to bless Abraham and Sarah with this chosen child. And it looks like it was also Abraham and Sarah's desire to have that. So everything lined up together. Yeah. That's a good point that the fear of what you want may not be in line with what God wants because this is the, the struggle. I mean, so often you hear these testimonies of, um, I'm trying to think of one that, that I, I've heard recently. I, okay, I heard this one recently where um, a loved one was in a car accident and they were in a car accident and they said, you know, thank the Lord that he was okay. You know, it was something like God is good. Thank the Lord he's okay. 
And I agree with that 100%. But let's say that he wasn't okay. Isn't God still good? And, and that's the struggle that we have, is because we have this idea of, well, God's will is that my wife and I will, will live till we're 90 and we'll celebrate 65 years together and all five of my boys will grow up and accept the Lord at an early age and next thing you know, we'll have 20 grandchildren and God is good. Well, what happens if God takes either Dawn or I very early in age? He's still good. You know, what happens if something happens when the kids, God is still good. And I think that's the hard part about this is we determine God is good and God's will as being good when good things happen, when really God's will is always good. The Lord is good and does good. Yeah, Carol. I think we have to remember we're not always happy, but we can always have the joy yeah. to know in the end we'll be okay because His will is the right way. Even though we may not be happy, you know, right. we do lose a loved one. There. We have that joy that, you know, if they're saved, they'll go to heaven. And that's the key word there is the distinction between happiness and joy. And this is something we've talked about before. God has promised us joy through the Spirit and through our relationship with Jesus Christ. We have joy that is unchangeable based on our circumstances. Where happiness is a very up and down type of day. I have a happy day. I have a sad day. It's my birthday. I'm happy. Where joy supersedes all of that. And too often we base life experiences on I'm happy. So it's good. Well, really, I have Jesus Christ, so I have joy every day of my life. And that's what we need to know. Yeah, Doris. I think when we say God is good when something is happening, it's because we want to give him the glory for it. And it has been his will and so on. This is the way it turned out. And in saying God is good when somebody says, how about how did your kids come out of the accident that you came out of? Yeah, and, and I understand what you're saying there. Is we kind of have made that catchphrase, God is good, to cover just like a praise. We're, we're really, no matter what happens in this world, God is good. Yeah, and that's where I look at like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had that great comment of, hey, throw us in the fiery furnace. You know, if we live, great. But if we die, great. Yeah, God, God's, God's still good. Cindy. And there's some truth that we have a tendency to bring these things on ourselves by life choices that we have made. And I, and as you mentioned about God not wanting anyone to perish. I was just reading with boys this morning. You know, this is what it says about that. God is patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And there's that great passage in Ezekiel where it says that the Lord says, Why would I want to see the wicked die? Turn from your evil ways. The Lord's desire... It's for all of us to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some of us don't want that, and so we reject that. God makes it abundantly clear in His Word, in His Word, that that is His desire. I love this passage, First Timothy chapter two, verse three. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. God's plan is a plan that hopefully includes salvation. Sometimes we reject that. And, and on a much lower scale. You know, 
one of the rules of the Irvin house is you don't run in the house. The other day, Layden was running the house, and he turned a corner, feet went out, and crashed. You go over, you pick him up, he's crying, you say, I love you, let's check it out, make sure you're okay. But you also stop and say, this is why there's a rule that says don't run in the house. The rule is there to protect you because I desire you to be safe. Jesus came down to die on the cross for my sins because God desires me to be saved. It's not God being mean and nasty saying you have to accept Christ, but it's love. It's lots of love. So Abraham and Sarah here are an amazing story of God's fulfillment, God's promises, and all of this, all of this that comes together. Any final questions, comments about this before we move on? All right. I think we were in 1 John 2. 1 John 2 here. And I just, want, I just got a couple points I want to build on this. 1 John 2, look at verse 24. This idea of promise. 1 John 2, verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and the Father. You'll have eternal life. Because look at verse 25. This is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. That, that's the promise. So we've we got to remember this. We've got to remember this. When it's a bad day at home, a bad day with the kids, a bad day with the spouse, a bad day at work, a bad day health-wise, the promise is eternal life. That is the underlying theme of everything. Too often in this world, we base, going back to what we said earlier, our happiness on these external circumstances where the promise is eternal life. I tell you, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize the only thing that matters is, are you saved? If you're not saved, then we can talk about the weather and life and movies and whatever, but what good does that do? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you saved? And it goes back to our word that we've been saying on Sundays of discipling. Is I want to be involved in your life. I want you to be involved in my life. And let's encourage each other to go deeper in our walks with the Lord. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. That's the goal. One last passage on this idea of promises. Can you go to 2 Corinthians 1? 2 Corinthians 1. Let's, let's do our logic here. Back to our first verse in Genesis 21. God said it. God did it. It was a miracle. No explanation but God. If God would have given them the child at 75 and 65 when he first promised them, we would say feasible. God waited till it was impossible. He gets all the glory, all the attention. He fulfilled his promise. So our, here's our connecting point. If he fulfilled his promise to them, in Joshua 21, if he fulfilled his promises to Israel, all came to pass, he's going to fulfill the same promises to us. The main promise that he gave us is eternal life. We just read that. Let's build on it now. 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1. Let's start here in verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me, Sylvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. So it's not this wishy-washy, is it? Is it not? It's yes. It's salvation. Look at 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes. If you are a doubter, and you allow external circumstances to bring discouragement into your life, you need to mark, underline, and put verse 20 on your fridge. For all the promises of God and Christ are yes. And in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So here's what we want to build on. What does God do? Now, He who first establishes us with you in Christ, has anointed us as God, and has also sealed us and given us the Spirit 
in our hearts as a guarantee. What do you see there in verses 20 and 21? In 22, you see the Trinity. you got Jesus, God the Father, you got the Spirit. And look at these words. Verse 21, you are established. Verse 21, you are anointed. Verse 22, you are sealed. That word sealed right there as a guarantee literally means as a down payment. What God is basically saying is, James, you're mine, and I want you for all of eternity. So until you are walking in heaven, I'm going to put the Holy Spirit on you, and that's my down payment on you. So that's my down payment. So I've sealed you. You're mine, and I'm just waiting now till I get to take you home for good. Established, anointed, sealed. Think of all these things we've talked about here tonight. He's promised us eternal life. He's promised us he'll fulfill all promises. In Christ, it's yes. He's established, he's anointed us, he's sealed us. Why do we walk in defeat? He gave a 100-year-old guy and a 90-year-old woman a baby. He is able to take care of whatever you're facing today that discourages you, that, that brings doubt, that brings fear into your life. I, I printed off these passages, and, and it ended up being 100 verses. So we're going to be here till about 9. So I went through, and I stopped and said, okay, we can't do 100 verses. You guys will mutiny. So I picked 2, 4, 6, 8. I got down to 10, so just bear with me. I'm not going to read them all. Look at these promises. I just want to finish with this. This is what you are. 2 Corinthians 5 says that you are a new creation in the Lord. A new creation. All that junk that you used to do, it is now gone, it's passed away. You are new. 1 Peter 2 says you are chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Put that on your resume. I am a priest. And if they ask you where at, you can say in the kingdom of God. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. If that is all true, why do we walk around like we're nothing? Ephesians 2, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, who God prepared beforehand. You you were a thought in God's mind even before you existed on this earth. Verse John 1, you're a child of God. 1 Corinthians 6, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 3, your citizenship is in heaven. John 15, Jesus says, I have called you friends. Wow. Galatians 3, you're a son of God. 2 Corinthians 5, you're an ambassador for Christ. Why is it that if I am a new creation, chosen race, holy holy priesthood, workmanship of Jesus, child of God, son of God, temple of the Holy Spirit, citizen of heaven, uh, what else do I got here? A friend of God, an ambassador for Christ. Why in the world do I walk around like some nothingness on this planet? And I'm not saying we walk around in some spiritual pride, but that is who I am in Christ Jesus. And he has promised those things to me. And if he has promised those things to me, just like with Sarah, he's promised it, he will fulfill it. I think we need to reach a point as believers where we quit walking around in defeat. I see too many defeated Christians, and I don't get that. I really don't. God has fulfilled these promises, and if he hasn't fulfilled it yet in your life, and maybe that's what you're thinking here tonight, is, okay, all that's true, but, okay, it took 25 years for Abraham and Sarah to get their promise fulfilled. Maybe there's someone here that says, I've been waiting longer than 25 years. And this is not some trite little answer. Please don't take it that way. If you've been waiting longer than 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled, just imagine what it's going to be like when that promise is fulfilled. 
What a rejoicing that's going to be. And also what a reward in heaven that is for your faithfulness. I see too many Christians give up. Remember Galatians 6 verse 9. Do not grow weary while doing good. But in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Trust the promises of God. He is moving in your life. He's moving in your kid's life. He's moving in your marriage. He's moving at work. He's moving in your health. He's moving in all those things. Trust it. Trust it and don't give up on it. Yeah, Russell. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a neat thing that you brought up about um, Israel. I remember, gosh, 66 years, but six years ago, we did a, we stopped on a Wednesday night and just did a whole special on the 60th anniversary of, of Israel becoming a nation. And one of the points that we said is, people always want to see a fulfilled prophecy. My goodness. If you, if, if you ever study out Israel, how they came to be a nation in 1948, unbelievable what God has done. Unbelievable what God has done. Anybody else have any final things here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Lord, simple prayer. I think of what the disciples said to you. Increase our faith. Lord, if there's someone here that brought in that doubt, that discouragement, that just overwhelmingness of life is difficult, increase their faith. Just as you fulfilled your promise to Abraham and Sarah, fulfill your promise to them. Remind them of all those scriptures of who they are in Christ. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and help us to walk in victory. Victory in Jesus, Lord, in your name. Amen. Real quick, before you guys leave, Ladies' Day is Saturday. Reminder, RSVPs, if you haven't, on the back table. If we could get some guys to go help us, we need to...